Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. My name's Yorgos, and I'm one. Um, yeah, I'm a product management recruiter at Shopify. I've been recruiting for, I think, like going on 15 years. So I'm like an old school, used to get faxed resume type of recruiter. So I feel like I've uh, been around, and yeah, now I get to embed myself in the product management world. So it's been fun, and I was fortunate to meet uh, Kevin through, yeah, recruitment, and I'm pumped to be here. Hi, everyone. I'm V, and I'm actually out of the Bay Area. I've been recruiting for nearly 10 years, and uh, Yorgos dragged me here. <laughs> Absolutely. So excited to steal both of your secrets on how to recruit and hire amazing product managers. First question I have for you is, how do you find awesome candidates? That one was probably quite loaded. <laughs> but right on it. He Easy doesn't question. Start, so he just shoots, uh, shoots, shoots from the hip. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely the conversation starter, and that'll save the entire show. <laughs> Perfect. Let's, let's get um, into it. Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, it, I can tell you it's it's a variety of avenues, to be honest with you. And, and I think that really... Uh, the first way I'd like to answer this is defining what great looks like, uh, because obviously that's a really subjective term depending on what we're talking about. And so when I think of a great candidate, um, you know, I can tell you that most companies, especially the size of, say, Shopify, now we're close to 9,000 employees, uh, they have uh, the luxury of being able to recruit purely experienced PMs. And so a great candidate to me looks like someone who has experience uh, building products at a software company in the tech industry. Uh, you know, obviously a great candidate would be doing relevant work in, for example, for Shopify, that'd be e-commerce. But uh, and having um, some pretty good tenures at the companies that they've worked at. So when I talk about tenure, I, I talk about um, being at a company for at least a year. For a recruiter, a litmus test is at least a year because of the fact that that's when you hit your cliff for stock. And so um, that's usually uh, a really good indicator that someone has either stuck it out or been good enough of an employee um, to work over a year. Granted, there's, uh, and to hit that cliff, of course, granted, there are extenuating circumstances. We've all joined startups that have failed. <laughs> so <laughs> unceremoniously closing the doors and, and you're there less than a year, of course. Um, and so, so yeah, that's, that's really what great looks, looks like to me is, is an experienced PM who's had some tenure, um, who's built products from start to finish. So they're not just told what to build from their customer or their CEO, but have helped with that creation and ideation process. Um, and lastly is really comfortable working with engineering and design teams, being that partner and, um, that driver of the roadmap. Love that. So in, in that context, like. How many of those, I mean, Shopify, big, big company, a um, lot of uh, interest in the product management uh, community. I, I would imagine you get a, a whole ton of those types of candidates, right? Um, coming through the, the pipe. You know, that's an interesting question. I can tell you, and, and Yorgos will back up on this, I think. Um, when we post a role, we'll get 400 applicants in two and a half days. 
And, uh, you know, to be totally honest with you, uh, there's about, um, an 8% pass through rate from an applicant to actually getting on a call with somebody from Shopify. And that's pretty typical. Yeah. What goes into that? Like, let's lift the veil up a little bit. Like, is it, is it a bunch of crap? And like, just like people, like just uh, spamming recruit other recruiters or uh, uh, trying to get their candidates through the pipe, or is this uh, like, do you have to guy go in each individual and kind of vet? Yeah, so it definitely is uh, individual resume reviews from uh, recruiters like like Yorgos and myself. And you know, a lot of times it comes down to the fact that similar to recruiting, actually, you don't go to school for product management. At least traditionally, right. you didn't, right? And so, what is that definition of a product manager? Because a lot of different companies have a lot of different definitions. I can tell you at Google we had to have people who were previously engineers and then became product managers. And that's not true for companies like Shopify or Amazon. Um, They don't require that previous engineering experience. And so, um, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why uh, there is a lot of (laughs) ambiguity and therefore a lot of mix in applications uh, because they're, you know, it's not a binary like, engineering where it's like, Hey, do you have a CS3 or have you been coding? Are you any good at it? And that's basically, um, a, a, a more black and white way to screen a resume. And so, so yes, we get oftentimes get people who are looking to get into the role who have been in consulting, who have been data analysts, um, who are sales reps and, you know, just generally don't have the background that we're looking for the, the traditional, the PM experience that we're looking for, for the senior PM and leadership PM roles that, that we have open. So I think that's kind of an interesting question though. How is that like predominantly what you guys are recruiting for is senior PM and leadership PM, or are you looking at associate level, maybe people who are making that first pass that where it might be their first product role, or are you guys really hoping to be the, the second or the third product role? You know, it's interesting because when Kevin emailed us about this, one of the things he said was this is for uh, aspiring PMs, this podcast is. And so the first thing that came into mind was transitioning into a product role. And for larger companies, you know, they usually have homegrown PMs. We have an internal APM program here, associate product manager, that's like equivalent of saying new grad engineer. It's the new grad role basically, or, or the role that you haven't had PM experience previously. Um, and so, so we do that a lot internally. Um, we convert interns into those APM roles. And so, um, we don't have a lot of job postings for, uh, brand new PMs because of the fact that we get them from different, uh, avenues instead. So what I always recommend to people who are looking to transition into product roles, First and foremost, the easiest way to do it is to transition within your own company that you're already working for. If you're a marketer, if you are a recruiter, if you're an engineer, what have you, the easiest way is going to be transitioning in your own company because you're a known entity there and someone's going to be willing to give you a chance. Um, The second way to do it would be to found your own company (laughs) and become your own product (laughs) manager. Uh, Founder experience gives you uh, that experience of wearing a whole lot of hats, um, building out a product from, from conception to launch and all the the pitfalls and challenges that go along with it. So that would be the two, the, the two avenues I would recommend for aspiring PMs, because by and large, 
you're not going to get in the door of a larger company because they they have it like they have their own programs. Um, right. So smaller so I'm startups to see, could like, definitely keep a chance, but it's it's still challenging. Yeah. What? Um, so so what is the? Is that something that you guys are open to in terms of candidates that don't have product experience applying for product manager roles? Is that like an immediate? Deal? Uh, because you have these programs and you're looking for a little bit more experience. Yeah, like I think in my world, so I'm mostly talking to senior PMs and there are some product management roles, but yeah, you are looking for that experience. I think if someone can put together a story within their application, so if that's your cover letter, resume, or just sort of a narrative that I can read as to why you've made this transition and like what are those skills or projects that you've had in your past that, you know, the accomplishments that would highlight your product management experience even if you haven't had that title i think there's benefit but i i do think what via sharing is quite true for the experience out of larger tech companies that we are looking for people who can level up the team and help with those mentorship pieces as opposed to those who might require it a little bit more as a net new employee to the organization so let's uh you kind of hit an interesting point let's um chat resume for a second like what is what does a great product manager resume look like? Um, I know we've all probably filled them out, set them in 50 million times. <laughs> to give, give us the secret. Like, how can we do a little better? <laughs> There's one thing that V said before that I really wanted to like emphasize is that idea of like a manual resume review. So, you know, I said I've been doing this for I think like 15 years. I still read every single resume that comes in. I think whenever I pop on to LinkedIn, there's always these conversations about like some bot or AI tool that's screening people out. And I think people are over-indexing that as like a reality of the recruitment process. I I don't know, maybe I'm just so far behind uh, and, you know, I don't have keys to these awesome tools, but I still read them all. So I think that's really important to say like- that's awesome, yeah. Remind yourself that there is a human on the other end who's looking at this profile. So I think what makes a great resume or cover letter is that you are still communicating to me as though I am someone yeah. who's looking for a sense of a story and a sense of what your background is. And the more that you can emphasize your accomplishments as opposed to your responsibilities is what I think helps separate mm. a good from a great resume. And by that is like responsibilities tend to be the language of a job posting. So it would be like, I don't know, if we're thinking of a product manager, you might use the language of like, you've been the product rep for internal stakeholders on a product feature you're leading. That's pretty generic to any product manager. But you would turn that into an accomplishment if you spoke about the specific product feature team you're a part of, who your internal stakeholders are, how often were you meeting and connecting with them. So that's how you, you kind of add this like I don't know, this like action element to the work. So that's uh, when you ask that question, I, I always think like accomplishments are what I'm looking for, not responsibilities. I like that a lot. I think the passivity, not only is it generic, but it, it, it doesn't say whether you were successful in any way. So you could have been the product owner for something for a while and failed miserably. Um, and so the best way to communicate that that wasn't the case is to highlight what went well, what you succeeded at. Yeah. Absolutely. Love, and, yeah. Oh, good. No, I was just going to say, I love that, um, that there's this human element to it, that, that typically just gets forgotten, 
honestly, at a company like Shopify that has so many employees, you can't, and this, in this name and recognition, me, I, I didn't know that. I thought you guys used AI or whatever to, to filter through <laughs> resume. So that was an insightful thing for me. I mean, especially, um, and, and I'm curious that if that's just unique to you guys, or if that, if, if um, other companies do the same, um, I think VU came from Google, right? So could you potentially give us some insight into that? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I, I, the first thing I'll say is, is this is actually my favorite topic. I do, I've been doing, um, resume consulting, uh, for the last five years or so it's, uh, something I geek out about a lot. And so love talking resumes, um, love helping people, um, tell their story. And, and you're going to certainly hit on it when he said accomplishments. Um, I, the first thing I always tell, uh, my clients is, Assume every single person applying to this job has the base set of skills for it. What sets you apart? What metrics, what, you know, like Yoro said, accomplishments are going to really make you stand out. What did you own? What were you responsible for? You know, uh, what did you champion? And so when you, when you look at it that way, it's not about telling your life story. It's about just grabbing someone's attention so you can get on the phone with them. And, uh, so yes, think about telling a story in a very succinct way. Um, you know, a lot of resumes that do really well are very clean. They're very easy to read. They're eye catching, but not overly. So, um, I've read a very interesting study year, uh, a few years ago now that, uh, it, it's looked at everyone in a company after they'd been there for a year or two. And what were the predictors of success? Was it the interviews and the specific scores they received? Was it their education? Was it the previous company they worked at? And lo and behold, the number one predictor of a successful employee was how good their resume was in terms of being error-free. So that is consistency with formatting. So if like you abbreviate a month, you abbreviate months for all of your times. Uh, if you have no grammar or spelling errors. If you put a period at the end of your bullet point, there's a period at the end of every single bullet point. Um, because what that's really showing you, uh, uh, an employer, and what that really predicts is how much attention to detail you have, how invested you are in a project. Can you see something through from start to finish? Are you a team player? Because you're going to get this resume reviewed by a bunch of different people to make sure you didn't miss anything. And so, yes, the number one predictor of a successful employee is how clean and uh, consistent your resume is. So it's a big deal to me. <laughs> you're just going to spell check a few things real quick. Uh, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I think that's a good point. I, I think there's something to be said for small and relatively mundane things also being predictors for someone's um, aptitude and also just the level of care they bring uh, to the job. And so it's not so much that you're the best speller in the world, but more that you, you put in the, the effort and the care and exactly. the due diligence. Exactly. And, and Kevin, apologies. Uh, I will answer your question though. Um, so I can tell you that uh, at Google, it was not automated um, at uh, actually every company I've worked at so far, it was not automated. One of the things, um, one of the reasons why uh, I know a lot of recruiting teams still don't use a lot of automation is for a couple of reasons, but mainly because we are worried about bias. Uh, tools that are built by people will implicitly have some bias built into them. And so, because they're built by humans who are fallible creatures. And so, 
Um, that's one of the reasons a lot of companies like staying away from AI recruiting tools. Um, don't get me wrong. Uh, I know there's a lot of uh, benefits to using an, an AI recruiting tool, uh, but I know that's one of the reasons why a lot of recruiting teams still stay away from them um, is because of the fact that we don't want to be knocking out people who maybe we could take a chance on, who maybe have some other experience that wouldn't line up perfectly with what we typed into the tool, but could actually translate into being a really successful PM. So um, there's still a lot of nuance to reviewing resumes and, and applicants. And of course, don't get me wrong, recruiters have their own bias too, just like everybody else. But um, I know that's one of the reasons why a lot of companies still stay away from those tools. That's that great. must be kind of one of those areas where PM and product management in its own right is such kind of a unique field in that way, right? We're looking for things that are kind of out there, really. It's not like you wouldn't, like, I, I would say it's kind of interesting with engineering and some other roles, you can be pretty tactful. Does this person code in the language to which they're useful, you know, or that the company uses? Are they familiar with frameworks that we use? You know, were they ranked certainly at their previous company? I think a lot of that is pretty tactical, but for product management, yeah, it could really be anything under the sun. I mean, even in the field of e-commerce or, you know, there's a difference, I could imagine there's 20 or 30 different types or hundreds of types of e-commerce PMs with different fields of focus and areas of expertise. So it's kind of one of those things. One, what was kind of sticking out to me as a question that I know somebody in the audience would probably be curious about is like, what is that stat that would make me stand out? Like, could you guys give a great example of like, I saw a resume and they've had this feature in there and it just made them look awesome. Maybe this goes back in terms of like how you format it or start inviting the recruiter or hiring manager into understanding your story a bit more. And Kevin, if you don't mind, I'll like talk about my experience reading yeah. your resume. Um, and Please. so, yeah, you know, I, I read Kevin's resume and eventually we had the opportunity to speak together until he removed himself from the interview process and went to join another company. So let, we can have a side conversation about that and how you... Your guess isn't better, he swears. Yeah. You ruined my potential hiring numbers. Um, no, I, uh, the, um, but one thing that you did, and I, I think this is really important in terms of the space that we're hiring now, especially at a company like Shopify that's hiring without borders, is, you know, I'm not from Boulder. I don't know all of the startups that are in Colorado or near, you know, neighboring communities. And so I'm not familiar with those product environments or product teams that are impressive necessarily or have done really great stuff. So having a sentence, even just under the company that you're working for and being like, hey, this is the name of the company and this is what we do. This is who our consumers are. And this is the, say, the, the amount of consumers or amount of people that used our product, or this is the amount of funding we've received. That is like one thing that you can do that just helps invite me into that story a little bit more and have a sense of your background. What V said really earlier is something I, I often tell candidates too is your goal with a resume, your goal with a phone screen with a recruiter is not to tell me everything, but to get me excited to learn more and to move you along in the process. And so that's one way that I would say helps in terms of the formatting is take a little bit of effort to explain the companies you're coming from, particularly if you know you're uh, maybe coming from a place that's less of a known entity, and you might be applying for jobs that you know have recruiters located in a whole different country than you are. That's great. Well, let's shift the script just a little bit because we've been talking like upper funnel acquisition 
kind of uh, finding candidates, right? So, so what about that conversation? The first conversation with the recruiter, um, you know, setting that up, you know, you're getting to know this person a little bit more. You've kind of gone through and been interested enough to continue that conversation. What stands out in those conversations? Oh God, there's so much we can start listing. Um, (laughs) Maybe I'll continue on this path of, and I think it's important to highlight. So I am a product manager recruiter, but I have never been a product manager. And so some of what I'm looking for in my conversation is your ability to communicate with me a field of expertise that I myself am not a part of. And what is your ability to walk me through that conversation? And again, I think invite me in and to share how you've measured your success, how you have learned from some of the experiences that you've had. So being concise in that, but it it is really interesting how people approach a recruiter in those conversations and whether or not they understand why we're a part of the process and the value that we bring um, and, and to be open to those communications and those questions. You know, I've interviewed hundreds of PM so far at Shopify within my first like six months of being there. I, I have a pretty good idea of what's expected out of you, but I will still engage in those conversations with a sense of curiosity and let you drive it. And so that approach you take will tell me how you work with stakeholders and how you invite folks outside of your area. So that's one of the ways I think. And yeah, V, what else do you sort of recommend in terms of that like approach someone can take on the phone with us? I mean, you certainly hit the nail on the head with conciseness. Uh, Again, just like your resume, you don't need to tell me your life story. I know that people get really anxious and they're like, okay, well, if I tell enough about myself, they'll like me to move me forward or they'll, they'll get enough information to know I'm good enough for this job. And I understand where that's coming from, but we have a very specific set of questions and there are multiple questions that we have to ask you in order to get a picture of your professional experience. And we can only do that if you are concise in your answers. So you need to be specific and you do need to be detailed, but you need to be concise at the same time. And I do understand that that's a balance. Uh, but it's great to practice with friends and family. Uh, interviewing is is very nerve wracking. I understand that, and so just you know, start practicing talking about projects that you've worked on in the past. Start practicing what you, accomplishments you've you've had in the past, because when you start thinking of those, more will even pop up too. And um, you know, uh, another piece of it that I definitely want to highlight. I understand how recruiters can have a bad rap. I understand that. There are recruiters who are so hard to get a hold of or ghost you or reach out to people without ever reading their profile. Like that is notorious on LinkedIn. You can find hundreds of articles about, you know, recruiters not not being awesome. And and I understand that. Um, When you do engage with a recruiter, though, always remind yourself that they are your advocate when it's when it comes down to it. Uh, We will advocate for you through this process. We will be the one at. Um, a recap meeting for all the interviewers talking about, you know, what your needs are, what you're excited about, because we've spoken to you most likely the most in this process. So uh, when you do talk to a recruiter, you can remind yourself that um, during that process, when it's going well, and, and you're, you have a good rapport with them, uh, it, is, it is because they are trying to advocate for you. That's great. That's all of that is awesome. Um, 
I, I think one thing that comes to mind for me is how do you be concise and specific at the same time? And something I've had to do is practice, um, you know, after my, my first like full-time professional PM job, I thought, okay, I've done this. I know what I'm doing. I can talk. It's fine. I go into some interviews and I failed miserably. And I think a lot of the things you said are, are the reasons for that. I just kind of ramble on. And if you can't get to the right details quickly enough, then yeah. they can't really vet if you're going to be good for the job. And so one thing I've, I've done myself is much like you to the product, prioritize the most important things about the most important projects you've worked on, you know, a couple of bullet points, the impact they've had, why they mattered for the company and the strategy, how you collaborate, collaborated effectively, and have some of those talking points in mind so that as you touch on those things, you know the things you have to hit. You can always expound on that a little bit. Um, but that helps me at least get more, I think, relevance in my interviews I've had. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I've, I've recommended, um, to some of, of my clients is use a timer, like have your, your, you know, parent or your spouse, uh, time you and say, okay, you have two minutes to answer this question. And so then it, it really gives you a sense of, of how, you know, how into detail of that story you should be going. But, but, you know, Zach, you, you brought up a really good point. Uh, a lot of the stories that, that you should tell are the really relevant ones. So for example, I started my career off as a coordinator um, in recruiting. So a recruiting coordinator is the person who schedules most of the interviews. And, uh, and at the same time, and, and though I started my career there, I have not brought that story up in, in years in interviews because that's not relevant to the role I'm, I'm interviewing for anymore. You know, I'm interviewing for recruiter roles, management roles, things like that. And so, um, a lot of times you, you want to remind yourself, um, and this is true for your resume as well. What is going to be relevant for the role I'm applying to? I very oftentimes recommend people customize your resume to the role you're applying to. If you have one edition of your resume, for all of the roles that you apply to, it's not specific enough. I think that's a good, and maybe we can relate it to even just what I think of myself as a recruiter. So because I've been in this job for a while, when I look at my own resume or the stories I tell, I could just have the same answers each step of the way, or if my resume would just have the same bullets, you know, interview people on a daily basis, source people via X, Y, and Z, manage an applicant tracking system. So why do I need to say that for every single job? I just say it once in my resume and be like, I have done that thing. That's out of the way. Now in the next one, I'm going to highlight this thing. And then in the next, I'm going to do it. You don't have to keep on repeating it if there are skills that you have had over and over and demonstrated in your role. So I like that idea of being just very streamlined in terms of your communications. And so what it kind of, uh, we've talked about a lot, I think the good things that go on here, what are some of the maybe lesser known red flags that would get thrown up during this maybe first call with you? Something that says, hey, you know, maybe this person isn't right. I'm always... Yeah, <laughs> how truthful do we want to get? Tell us. Can we? Can you tell us a horror story? And you can leave names out of it, obviously. But are there any? Well, kinda... I mentioned yeah. this person I interviewed before named Kevin, so I think it just makes sense to continue on that path. <laughs> oh, great! <Yeah. laughs> just for wait, the wait, consistency wait. here. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll edit Rast. this out later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hear a long beat. Uh, maybe. <laughs> One and and oh, I don't know if I'm I'm not answering your question specific not so like push back but I do notice that if I 
if you have, if our call is 25 minutes and you as a candidate have spoken for 20, it's probably a sign that the call is not going well um, because you haven't taken an opportunity to engage in a dialogue with me and to invite me into the conversation. So I think that's one check you can do. And unfortunately, I do think people have an approach where, you know, it's essentially like they're reading off of a script and be like, okay, I've got 20 minutes, let me go. I'm going to get it all out. And it's like, oh, take a breath. Um, you know, what's going on in your world today? Even just like take a moment and ask, uh, you know, how's, how's your morning going? How's your afternoon? Where do you fit in this world of Shopify or wherever that person is working? So that's how I, I you know, I definitely do kind of think. The other one that is maybe a bit more um, pointed in terms of if it comes out in conversation, it's how you talk about your former team members or your former companies. Now, that's not to say that, you know, people work for not great places or places you're, you're interviewing for a reason. There's obviously something missing in your current company or your current role. So I'm not expecting everything to be perfection when you speak about the place that you're coming from. But there is a difference in terms of recognizing how things could be better versus assigning blame to others and not recognizing your own place in that process. And so that's something that I, I think I am hypersensitive for, is like, how do you speak about those former colleagues or, or colleagues who might be former and those managers? And do you see yourself as a part of it, things that could have been made better? Um, yeah, that's always a red flag, but I, that's not a horror story about any one particular. I got it. Maybe we save that not for the coffee chat, but for the beer conversation, like the part two. <laughs> yeah, product beers. No, yeah. It, it's, uh, it, it's kind of funny you mentioned that. There were two things that stuck out. One, it, it kind of reminds me of things that I look for in candidates, which is honesty and just general, like that they're organic like that they're kind of real and, and present in that, in that kind of moment where they're interviewing or doing whatever else. And the same thing is, you know, I don't want a, a product dictionary for, uh, you know, a, a coworker, you don't want somebody who felt like they've read the, the manual and they came in and, and that's that, that being said, you know, should know your answers, but you should have your own voice that you're talking about in that process, which kind of is something that stands out to me, but it's interesting because it's kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. yeah all right yeah. V, tell us a horror story <laughs> i mean i've been cursed at i've been threatened i've had people really? tell me they were gonna meet me in the lobby you Holy know crap i think about think about uh horror stories of how waiters are treated um and and you can kind of equate that to, uh you have a sense of, of of horror stories from from recruiting you know it, it's uh yorgos really hit the nail on the head my number one red flag is how you talk about previous employers and it's not about uh even if there's a situation where you you know you feel like you're completely blameless or it had nothing to do with you it was like oh the company was acquired and the culture changed and it does you know you're not a match to it anymore so you're moving on um yeah you know it, it's not quote unquote your fault but how you tell that story how professional you are how delicate you are um is really going to tell us how self-aware you are about working at a company and being a professional and that's going to tell us how you talk about shopify in the future so you know that's <laughs> yeah. that's one of the reasons why that's such a big flag is because you know oh do you talk to every do you talk about everybody like this um and that really comes down the way we we term it at shopify is self-awareness 
Uh, do you give other people credit? Do you understand that, you know, you had opportunities in your career or, or you know, somebody who mentored you or somebody who took a chance on you? Uh, and so do you talk about, you know, yourself and, and play the victim or, and that obviously that's a very extreme case, but, uh, but also just do you talk about how you worked on a team and how you work together to be successful? Um, so that self-awareness piece is there too. But yes, I agree with, with absolutely everything Argo said. Yeah. For the PM role specifically, there's so much collaboration you have to do. I think I mean I think that's mm-hmm. important for any any discipline, but particularly for product, like that gives you a sense of is this person, do they think they're the boss or the center of the universe? Or can they inspire and rally a team? And when someone speaks even of a negative employment experience in just mostly negative terms, that it certainly doesn't build confidence that they can rally a team. And yeah, I think that's a great analogy and a really good point too. Well, and we know this too from interviewing product managers, but also yourselves as product managers. Like, you know, there are companies that lead with authority. There are others that do it through influence. And so a part of how you answer those questions will tell me like, yeah, how is your approach with stakeholders? And is that going to work with our model? Interesting. So, and there's no wrong answer there too. And that's the thing that that I always try to tell candidates is that this isn't a, like, if you ever get rejected from a, from a, um, from a recruiting process, like, unless you've cussed at someone, obviously that's a different conversation, but <laughs> unless there's a serious behavior problem, more often than not, you know, it's, it's nothing personal. It's, it's all about alignment. And I always mm-hmm. equate it to dating, right? You both might be good people, just not good for each other. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but your raises is a good point. You know, the mini CEO model, which is the classic term for it is, is what traditionally what, you know, was recruited for at, at places, um, you know, like, Google and, and Twitter and things like that. And, and we work off of the, we call it the trifecta model. A uh, common t- industry term is the three-legged stool, but basically what it is, is three points. So it's the PM, the engineering lead and the design lead, and they all work together at Shopify in order to build out a roadmap and build out a product. And so it's very collaborative. It's not that this, the PM is the captain of the ship or, or like I said, the mini CEO. So that's just a different style of working. And so we're not right. And and Google might not necessarily be right. It's more about their culture and how they built their company. And so, you know, even if you tell us you're traditionally from a mini CEO model, and, and maybe that's not a fit for us, like we're not making a commentary on your experience or how you work in that way. Is it possible for someone who say has been on the mini CEO side, who still you still think might be a good fit? Like, how do you bridge that gap? Because maybe that's the culture you come from, but you want to work at Shopify, you want to work somewhere different. How do you show that you can step into something different? Absolutely. And then and, and in that in that specific situation, it's all about being collaborative. Can you be a team member who can collaborate? Can you, as Jorgo said, you know, rally through influence instead of authority? Uh, and so that's really comes down to a skill set um, versus, you know, pure, you know, like to like experience. That's also a good spot, Zach, too, when you're saying, like we were talking about before about how you talk about the workplaces you're coming from in those teams, is that maybe you are working in that model as the mini CEO and you don't want to be, you want to move to a more like a place of influence or collaboration. So I'm always, I would be curious, like, how do you frame that? Like, is it because you're going to start saying, well, this model never works, I don't like it, or is it instead like, actually, I would prefer to work with an X and is what I think would be more effective. Like, that's a, a real small way of kind of checking your own language about if you yourself are wanting to make those changes, how are you talking about where you're coming from? And is it 
hinged with like this negativity or instead is it just, you know, seeing a different way of working and thinking that you'll prefer it? It's amazing how much reframing can be powerful. The difference between, oh, I hated this. It was terrible. This, you know, I, I did not enjoy doing this. No one wants to work with that. But if you say, I'm really excited about the way Shopify has a collaborative approach to road mapping. I really want to partner more with design and engineering because I think we'll make better products. It's funny how just that simple reframing of, of what you want to do can really change how the conversation goes. I think it kind of comes down to attitude, right? I mean, at the end of the day, the attitude that you bring into that, everybody can feel what you're feeling in the same way. So if you come in super negative about where you are, it's going to show and it's not going to get people excited. But if you come in super positive and super excited about the opportunity and understanding that a change is pending, like that could be a really good way to get people going on. Now, I, I kind of want to take it maybe a step further down the process. So let's say we've gone through the... Um, you know, the initial screening with you guys, uh, take us on the journey. What's the next step at Shopify? Yeah, we have, uh, there's a few stages. I <laughs> uh, can't let product managers uh, go off the hook in the interview process. So say you have a conversation with me as a part of that initial, what we call like an initial vetting call, um, and that's successful. Oh, what I would do is I would move you to uh, a mini case study. And so we have a mini case study that is a live problem um, activity that you'll do with one of our product managers across the organization. And the goal there is to see how you collaborate with another product manager, what are some of the frameworks you use for your decision making, and your level of curiosity because we'll present you with a problem that you haven't seen before, and it, it will most likely not be an area of your expertise, but it will be related to something to do with Shopify. And kind of curious, like, how do you tackle it? And, you know, how do you, how do you get excited about this potentially being something you work on and, and measure those successes? So if that mini case study is successful, we would then move to what we call our, our shortlist interviews. And those are also the final rounds of interviews. And so there's four parts, each uh, an hour in length. And so another one is a case study. So this time the case study will have a little bit longer in length, but the nature of it's still the same. I'd say because it's an hour instead of, rather than just 45 minutes, you have more of an opportunity to focus on solutioning. Um, and so that partnership that comes in like the later half of the product management activity, um, you will meet with our trifecta, what V uh, spoke about before. So you'll connect with an engineering as well as the design lead. Uh, you'll also do a PM craft interview. And the way I talk about that to candidates is you'll be hyper-focused on a few things that you've done in your product management career. So if a typical interview is like 10 questions over the course of an hour, this would be like, you know, three questions about one experience that you've had, and it's just going to be hyper-focused on it instead. So maybe about a product you launched, maybe about a stakeholder engagement activity that didn't go as successfully as you hoped it would and sort of what did you do to change that approach, something like that. And then the last one is you would do a hiring manager interview, which would be an hour in length and is a little bit more of a traditional behavioral based interview and if that's all successful, we would then uh, recap, or excuse me, regardless, we recap as a team. And so everyone who's involved in the interview process, from myself and V to all those other people who come later in the stage, get together for a live meeting in which we talk about someone's performance through the interview process and try to gauge their level of impact 
if they were to join Shopify. And uh, yeah, we would make a decision as to whether or not we extend an offer or, you know, unfortunately say, um, here are some areas of improvement and, and, you know, we've decided to move forward in another direction. Yeah. Is that it, V? That's, yeah. Can you tell I also say this a lot on the phone? Did it sound well rehearsed? I <laughs> It did so. <laughs> it, it did. I feel like I'm yeah. I'm ready to go yeah. through the process right now. Yeah, let's do it. Now. <laughs> okay. Um, um, so we don't have too many, uh, too much more time. But I, I I wanted to touch on one more thing before we kind of wrap up and give homework out to our audience. Um, instead of us asking all the questions, I want to flip the script. V and Yorgos, do you have any questions for us on our side of the equation? Um, that you've been like curious about. Um, and maybe we'll limit that to a couple more, uh, you know, maybe 10 ish more minutes and then we can wrap up. And if you don't, that's totally okay. I'm putting you guys on the spot. So that's, I mean, the good thing is asking questions is now my job. It used to drive my mother crazy when I was growing up, but now I get paid for it. So that's great. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, I'm curious, um, are you are you looking for questions as PMs, as podcast hosts, or as potential candidates? Sort of questions. What topic were you were you really looking mm. for? I'll leave that. Honestly, open. all three sound yeah. pretty oh, to interpretations. <laughs> leave it to yeah. your discernment. <laughs> yeah. So so I'm I really love uh, I'm a very technical person in a lot of ways and love uh, understanding how things work. And so my question to you would be: Okay, so you have now two recruiters here who are who are quite experienced in the industry you have an opportunity to look under the hood as as we have been talking for the last half hour what is something you've always wondered you know being a candidate is there something you've always wondered about like oh man how do you make that decision or like what the heck is going on you know or or what is what is with this recruiter's behavior or what have you like what are some of the internal workings of a company or a recruiting process that you've always wanted to know more about because of your experience? I think one of, the, one of the interesting questions I've always had that I've never kind of thought about is um, why when we finish interviewing candidates, maybe we get through the late stage process. We usually always send them out a generic email that's kind of like, you know, either congratulations, yay, we're going to extend you an offer. Maybe we get somebody gives you a call. On the flip side, like if somebody has done incorrectly, we like for the benefit, I've always wondered, why don't we ever reach back out to candidates and say more explicitly like, hey, here's, you know, here's maybe why we didn't select you so they could know for the future, like to make something better. I've always wondered that about the recruiting process. And mm -hmm. yeah, that'd be my question. Okay. Well, we can go for a long time on this <laughs> one, I think. <laughs> so that's a great question. And um, the first thing I'll say is sometimes it's actually stylistic. So that might come down to either how the recruiter runs a process or what how they've been instructed within their own company. So for example, at Shopify, if I've gone through uh, a, a specific stage with a candidate, anything past that, and I call them if I have to give them a positive or negative update, including a rejection. So, and for me, myself, stylistically, I have always throughout my entire career called a candidate after the, that panel interview, what traditionally is called an on-site interview, um, that final round of interviews. Because look, a candidate has adjusted their schedule, they've prepped, they've taken hours out of their day, they've usually 
taken a lot of emotional taxing uh, as well. And so I owe it to them to give them at least a call and walk through and give them the human touch and walk through exactly what happened. Now, many times I can give feedback. It's something like, hey, you know, you just really didn't have enough payments experience to build the checkout product we're trying to build here. Or, you know, we're really looking for someone who's a little bit more technical, who's a little bit more comfortable running data. Um, there are times where it's behavioral. And obviously, for legal reasons, I have to be very, very delicate in that conversation, uh, as we all do. And so there are times where um, I can't be super specific because maybe something was said or, um, you know, culturally, it's just not going to work out. Um, but I feel very strongly in engaging with a candidate over the phone to let them know exactly what's going on and give them that update. Um, so that is, like I said, that can be stylistic or a company decision. Um, it is unfortunate sometimes. I, I actually don't agree um, with that style of recruiting, uh, but I do understand that that is something very often that happens. Yeah. It's so we're on the same team, same company, and even stylistically, we have a different approach. And so, but the, the nature is the same. So I will also always provide feedback. Um, I don't feel like I have an obligation to provide feedback if all you, if you've just applied with your resume and we haven't had a conversation. Unfortunately, I, I just don't have the capacity to do. Of course. So, so what V, so V kind of highlighted and I follow the same thing. If we've had a conversation, I'm always there to provide feedback back. I don't cold call people with feedback, whether positive or negative. I always send an email saying, hey, let's book a time. I have good news to share, or unfortunately, we're not moving forward. Book a time and I will tell you why. And, and this is like, I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but that is like purely me creating the process because mm -hmm. there was a job that I thought I was going to get several years ago. And I remember getting the phone call and being on the street here in Toronto with the like biggest smile on my face and it being like, oh, we're not moving forward. And me starting to cry on the street, being like, oh my God, I thought this was the other call that they were making an offer. And so I just like, that left an imprint that I was like, I will never cold call someone without telling them that it's a no first. And also, if they book a time with me to talk, it usually gives me a sense that they are open to feedback. When V spoke earlier about those horror stories, usually the worst situations that have happened to me or the ones that have been most uncomfortable is when people have gone through that feedback cycle and they're being very aggressive. And, and I get it. You know, you have probably started focusing on a new opportunity and now it's being taken from you, for lack of a better expression. But I am speaking on behalf of the team and the organization. I am not making a comment on your soul. <laughs> and that, that like I think gets lost in translation sometimes but I do think it's really important to provide feedback I I if anyone is listening to this and they interviewed with me I you know and I didn't do that then you know feel free to reach out because I always want that to be an invitation and I think you have the right to ask but maybe the one thing I'll say to candidates as well as I I keep on going on on this speech is um, if you are asking for feedback be open to it and that conversation is also not a negotiation. Uh, so don't approach it like you're going to talk me out of changing the team's mind or our decision. Unfortunately, the decision has been made and I am just referring back information. Um, so I, I think that's something tonally that is important for people to consider when they're investing that time. Yeah.
Wow. I think as product managers or as professionals, it's important to remember the human on the other side giving you bad news. Like it's no fun to give anyone bad news Um, or it is exciting to give someone good news, but um, you know, you should keep that in mind. And one other thought I've always had is if it it isn't good news, you know, Yardis, like you said, um, you can't change the recruiter's mind. They're not, you know, it's a team collective decision. Um, And whether or not you feel like it's fair that you failed, because, you know, sometimes it might be fair. Sometimes, you know, may, who knows, maybe not everything was taken fully into account. And that's just how it goes. Either way, it didn't work out. So what can you learn from it? Try and be sincere and, and optimistic about that. And if you leave a really good impression, even though you didn't pass, I mean, that's, that's a connection that you might be able to, you know, reach out to that person to get in the future or have a conversation, you know, things, things change your experience. Yeah. You grows. might have them on a podcast or, or <laughs> you, might, you might bring them on a podcast. Yeah, or exactly. like, you know, think of who are most of my connections or other recruiters. Like if you are genuinely a great candidate, I'll refer you to other recruiters at other companies. Like I, I have done that so many times. And that is a part of that, like lasting impression is, you know, it'd be like, Hey, I know you weren't successful here, but let me go forward you on to so-and-so. I know they're looking and I think you'd be a great fit in that organization. Um, maybe the one inside baseball thing to say to you is, you know, sometimes I don't agree with the decision when we don't move forward with someone. And so I'm also having to sell a conversation that I don't agree with. And so, but uh, I definitely have had those moments too, where, you know, be like, oh, I really wish we didn't make this hire because I would have loved to work with you, but I'm not the decider at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. I think it's well, important man. to remember things are rarely binary. It's rarely you are yeah. good or bad. You are yeah. the right person or the wrong person. And so, you know, uh, another opportunity, you might have another at bat down, down the line. So treat everybody uh, as if you might work together again. Small community, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And and I cannot tell you how many times I've been talking to a candidate back and forth for over a year before the right role opened up and I finally get to hire them. And great yeah, I, I agree. You know, um, it's really about how you act and, and how, you know, professionally. And, and I can tell you the, the flip side of that, you know, we, there are candidates that we will blacklist if they do, if they behave really unprofessionally, if, if they, like I said, you know, curse at us or what have you, um, you know, if you, if you accept an offer, no, no, yeah. And, uh, and so, and so, yes, you know, I, I, there's a lot of opportunity there that again, you know, as Zach said, this isn't a commentary on you and, and it's so subjective that, one recruiter will interview a candidate and then Yorgos and I will, uh, you know, if Yorgos and I swapped interviews, we'd have potentially different feedback for the yeah. same candidate. You know, interviewing is so subjective. This, as you said, this is not a binary. This is very human. And so, you know, s- sometimes it's just not a good, you know, experience because you were off that day or you forgot a story or something like that. And and it's okay, you know, a lot, if you act professionally and if you build a good rapport with your recruiter, there will be additional opportunities in the future for you. Love that. Well, we're, we're coming up to the end of the, the podcast and this has been awesome. I, I so appreciate you two coming on. Um, so many uh, interesting things that I, I, I did not know ahead of time before uh, for recruiting. So I, I really appreciate both your time and kind of how we like to wrap these up to give homework to our listeners um it, it, you know it, as short as that can be so um I, you know me personally i think um um look at that resume and and really focus on the the job that you're applying for um i think uh, you know it, it, 
at the onset, when you're kind of looking for everything, you, you might be very broad and, and paint broad strokes, but really take the time. Uh, like V mentioned, it's like dating, right? So maybe really take the time to, to make a good first impression and, and, and cater that resume to that, um, that company. So that would be mine. Zach, you want to go next? We'll just go around my horn here. Let's see. Sure. I would say, you know, remember that the recruiter is a person trying to evaluate another person and that's never an exact thing. And, you know, it, it's okay to fail just like with products. You're not, you're not going to win them all, no matter how good you are. Um, the best you can do is try your best, learn from it, treat other people respectfully. And as if you want to work together with them at some point, and if you do that enough over time, um, it's going, you're going to see positive results eventually. Love it. Yorgos, you want to go next? I mean, one thing I would say for candidates is, uh, you know, a good thing to Google is the STAR method of interviewing. The STAR method stands for situation, task, action, result. Uh, when you are talking to a recruiter and getting to understand your stories and your experiences, often we don't spend enough time uh, talking about the actions we've taken and the work we've done. And so the more that you can break down your stories and experiences uh, with thinking about the actions that you've taken through your achievements, the better. So yeah, Google that STAR method. It's an old school recruiter technique and it really does work. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Lou, what do you got for us? I think the biggest thing is focus on, you know, what you've delivered in the past. What have you done? What are the outcomes you've driven? And what are the metrics that you've moved? It sounds like that's a pretty key piece for your resume and for your conversations is really just to drive that home for other people. Bring people and feel excited about you. Awesome. V, close us out. All right. Well, I was given this piece of advice uh, in my very first job in the industry, and it is no matter what, uh, use whatever uh, note-taking app, doc, whatever you'd like to use, uh, if it's Evernote, Google Docs, iPhone notes, whatever, but start a note where you write in your accomplishments for your job. Life gets hectic, things get forgotten. And when you finally decide to start looking for another role, you're going to want to refer back to that those notes and say, oh yeah, that's right. I did run that project last year and that would be great to add to my resume. So wherever you are in your career, start a note where you are tracking your accomplishments so you don't have to try to remember it all. I love that. Love that. Great. Well, thank you all so much uh, for spending this time just nerding out on this topic. Um, I found it very valuable myself. I hope our listeners did as well. Um, and it looks like we finished up our coffee. So go level up. Go level up.